Hi, and welcome to The Unveiling. I'm Tim, one of the hosts, and along with Ajay and Mark, we are three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you're encouraged by this episode. Let's dive right in. Hello, and welcome, or welcome back, to The Unveiling. We're all here, and we're certainly glad you are as well. This is episode 55. Last week, we started going through the book of Galatians in the New Testament, a letter from Paul to the churches of Galatia, churches which he helped start. We are going to pick up from where we left off last week. So we're going to start our reading today in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 11, and we're just going to go read some and talk about it as we go. So if you're ready, guys, I'm going to dive right in. One quick note, this is Paul writing, so it's in his voice, he's talking, you know, he's speaking. And Cephas, uh, that he refers to, uh, I think we mentioned it last week, Cephas is Peter, the Apostle Peter, so that there's no confusion. So starting in verse 11 of chapter 2, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. I think that's a good stop for the moment, yes? Sure, yes, I think it is. So, Ajay? You know, one of the things here is, right, you know, I just noticed uh, Peter was the one, if you look at the New Testament Acts 2, Peter was the one who actually, the first apostle to preach the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He boldly talked to not only Jews, yeah, all the Jews, right? You know, he said he pointed finger at them and said, you people who killed the author of life, God raised him up from the dead. And he was so bold. And again, you know, even when he was imprisoned, he was bold in Acts chapter 3 also. He goes and boldly proclaims the gospel. And now when it comes to actually association with the Jews, you know, uh, he's afraid of them, of the peer pressure or, you know, societal pressure. Even though he knew the truth, he was... uh, not willing to live by it. You know, before somebody from James came, he was uh, eating with Gentiles. And um, and then when they came, he pulled back, right? So just keeping up with the societal pressure. And I think it happens uh, even now, right? You know, we belong to a certain denomination. Oh, Baptists won't do this. Pentecostals won't do that. Oh, for Baptists, you know, speaking in tongues is an abomination, right? So I think we might, even though personally we might believe in something, but uh, we might not outwardly, you know, stand by it. But I think here is the case, right? You know, there are some secondary things that it's okay if you believe or not believe. But when it comes to the core gospel, we need to, we need to stand for it. You know, there are no two ways about it. You know, either you are justified by faith alone or you are justified by faith plus something. So I think one of the observations is Peter, even though he was so bold before, here he's afraid. So this does not mean, you know, sometimes, you know, we may be boldly proclaiming the gospel, but in other cases, we might be a chicken. So <laughs> it also shows that, you know, every time we say we do the work of the Lord, you know, we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we do it in the flesh, you know, it's not going to work. So, and again, I think the good thing is it's okay. Sometimes we get scared. Sometimes we are bold, you know, as the Lord enables, we do it. And sometimes, you know, we back off 
it's okay to, you know, nothing to condemn ourselves. So, Ajay, let me ask you one question about what you just said. You said if we preach out of our own flesh, it's ineffective. I would say that preaching in the Spirit is so much more effective as to almost make it ineffective as doing it ourselves. But I would also say that the Lord can speak through the jawbone of an ass or me. Uh, I I think it can still be somewhat effective, but you're certainly not going to get the results that come from the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm sorry, Tim. I think if I said effective, but I was just referring to the his state of mind. I think here he is scared. In other cases, he was bold. But I think like we always say, you know, the gospel is the gospel. You know, the power is within the gospel itself. As long as we are preaching the truth, I think, you know, it will go, the Bible says, you know, the word of God will not... Uh, return empty it's not so much of the on the side of the speaker but it's more on the side of the receiver if you preach the pure gospel and if someone is willing to listen or receive it by faith it will do its work regardless of the preacher we've talked about that many times and the way yeah. we usually put it is the power's not in the messenger it's in the message so right. whether you're a new believer brand new believer or whether you've been walking with the lord for 50 60 years when you bring the gospel of grace, the, the message of the cross, the spirit is in that. You, you can't do anything to get it out of there. Right. You don't have to have a theology degree, a seminary degree. You could be a brand new Christian. But when you preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, the message of God's grace, there, there, was, there is a demonstration of the spirit's power in that message. Yeah. So, in fact, I would, uh, sorry, uh, go ahead and add this. You know, I think in many cases, brand new believers are the ones who preach the poor, pure gospel. You know, after they mm-hmm. join the church and they feel like, oh, now I'm a mature believer, you know, they start adding to the gospel and yeah. corrupting the gospel. So that's a great case. Point. Yeah. Regardless of how much mature you are, but if you corrupt the message, you're stripping it of the power. Yeah. Ajay, I wanted to just. Um, Get a little specific here on the first paragraph that Tim just just uh, read, and that is that Paul and Peter both were Jews who had become Christians, and it says here that when the Judaizers, but but they were pure gospel Jewish Christians, the Judaizers who came in believed that you were saved by faith in Christ and keeping the Mosaic law. So when they came in, that's when Peter separated himself from the Gentiles. And here it says, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, these other Jews that joined him were also Jewish Christians that were Christians in the one true gospel. They weren't Judaizers. So the Judaizers came in. And, and, and persuaded, well, I won't say persuade, but their very presence there caused Peter and the other Jewish Christians with him. And even Barnabas, whose name means encourager, even Barnabas was led astray by this. So I just wanted to point that out um, just so there's no, you know, because they're going back and forth between Peter and James and, and and Paul and using the term Jew. So um, these, these are Jewish Christians that were led astray. And then the second thing I wanted to add, you, you pointed out a great point that even Peter, 
Peter was the one first led astray, worried and afraid when the Jewish Judaizing Christians came in. And you had pointed out, this is Peter. He was the first one after Christ was resurrected, had died, resurrected, and ascended on the day of Pentecost who went out and preached the gospel. Not only was he the first one to go out and preach the gospel, he was the first one that had the true revelation that this gospel was for the Gentiles as well. When he was on the roof of Simon the Tanner, he had a vision of God letting down like a giant sheet that had all kind of animals in it, birds and reptiles and things. And he was very hungry. And God said to him, Peter, kill and eat. And a lot of these things, according to the Jewish law, were unlawful and unclean for a Jew. And and, and Peter said, no, Lord, I can't do that. I've never put an unclean thing in my mouth. And beside making a statement about the law and that we're not under the law anymore, but under grace. He said, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. So to me, it's even still a little surprising. Peter, who had that revelation that don't call these Gentiles unclean, I've made them clean, that he forgot that when the Jews came, the Judaizers came in, and he pulled back from them. And because these Jews thought that they were less clean than the ones that were adding the Mosaic law to faith in Christ. He pulled back, having forgot that. And the thing I love about this is Paul's not opposing him just for the sake of going to war over this. He's doing it for Peter's own good, for the good of all the Jewish believers that were with him in Galatia there, and also for us, because he says he opposed Peter that the gospel might be preserved for us. And so this was not a bad thing here. This was one believer coming up alongside another believer and for the sake of the gospel and for individuals was setting him straight. And I thought that was like a really good example for us, not only what to do, but how we do that in love and respect and with the right motives behind it. Yeah, I think to that point, uh, Mark, I think it uh, gives us both comfort and courage to stick to the one true gospel, right? You know, sometimes we hear from big, big preachers from the pulpit, you know, even if they don't preach the pure gospel, we don't have to be afraid, right? You know, we just, like Paul did, you know, we can boldly say, you know, you're not in preaching the true gospel. And and it clearly shows, right, it is very important, for Paul at least, it's very important to preserve the purity of the gospel and he did not back off from opposing even Peter. Obviously, at that time, Peter was one of the top guys among the Jewish believers, but still he did not uh, back off from opposing him. And this is Peter. This is not just your average everyday Christian. Right. This is one of the original 12 disciples, apostles. He was the one that gave the statement that Christ built his church on, that he's the son of the living God. And it just it's, it's kind of encouraging because if he's able to at times speak and think and act and believe in a way that's not in line with the truth of the gospel, how much more can we fall to that? And that that's really one of the reasons the unveiling exists is for us all to keep purifying our knowledge and understanding of the gospel until we do speak and act and believe that I want that to be my default setting. You know, now I'm still in the phase where at times I have to correct myself against the word and what the true gospel is. And sometimes even my wife or my kids or Ajay or or Tim will correct me and say, hey, 
that's old covenant thinking, you know. So this is just a great encouragement. So picking back up at verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, that, that verse 16 that ends with, by the works of the law, no one will be justified, is one of my main proof texts that the law can't buy you anything. It can't give you righteousness. You can't gain righteousness. There's another one coming up, uh, I believe, early in the next chapter that that really is very similar. But the, the salvation and sanctification of Christians is done by faith, not by works, not by the law, not by action and activity, but by faith. Abraham was counted as being righteous because of his faith, not because of his works. Yeah, I think here, you know, if you look at the progression, right, Peter was a Jew. And then after he heard the gospel, he realized, oh, my God, I don't need to really keep any of these uh, Jewish traditions or customs in order to be a Christian. So he basically let go of that, right? You know, he thought before they wouldn't mix with uh, Gentiles. I think they would not eat pork and things like that. But now he found a newfound freedom that, you know, he started mixing with Gentiles. He started mixing with Gentile believers. I do not believe here. I think the context is not so much of, you know, breaking the Ten Commandments, but here the context is just associating yourself with uh, Gentiles and non-Jews. So he was a Jew and then he realized that, okay, my Jewishness will not save me. I'm only saved by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, like Tim said. And then I don't have to keep all the customs of the Jews to be a Christian. And then he became a Christian. But now he is going back and adding the Jewish law to the gospel. You know, that's what Paul is saying here. If you being a Jew, you're living like a Gentile, then why are you forcing the Gentiles to become like a Jew? You know, it doesn't make any sense at all. You know, I think that is a logical argument uh, Paul is making. I have one more point, but I will uh, let you guys chime in here. Go ahead, Mark. Well, Ajay just said what I was going to say. I thought he was going to comment on <laughs> on 16 forward. And that is, now, Paul Peter was not teaching these believers in Galatia that you have to add the law because he didn't believe that. But by the fact that when the Judaizers came in, he sided with them and drew back, he was indirectly saying, okay, these people are telling you, you need to add the law, and I'm drawing away from you and siding with them. That's what Paul is talking to. He's indirectly, by his actions, showing to the Gentiles, hey, even though I've been hanging out with you, these people think you have to add the law and circumcision. Now I'm going back with them. So that's what he's talking about. Peter didn't come out and say to the Gentiles there, hey, you need to all be circumcised. But by his actions and pulling back from them and going over with the Judaizers, that's what he's basically saying now. The Judaizers were 
about more than just circumcision. Yeah. The the fact is, and we've said this before, uh, so hope, pardon me for belaboring the point. The Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments, but there are 613 rabbinical laws. There are also uh, feasts and traditions and things that had to all be observed and met for you to be considered uh, complying with the law. And I don't know about you guys, uh, but I'll be the first to admit, Ten Commandments are more than hard enough for me (laughs) most days. But if you're going to add all these others, I mean, there's restrictions on what you can eat, what you can wear, who you can hang out with. It's the list is goes on and on and on. And there may be more now uh, in the uh, modern Jewish tradition. I'm just not up to speed on that. I think that's good. A good point about circumcision. However, I'd like to add that circumcision was Jewish. It was the sign that we are God's covenant people, the chosen people. And so even though it was only one of many things, and that that tended to be uh, one of the focuses that the Judaizers were trying to add to the Gentiles, it wasn't the only one, but it's such a key one. It's almost like the key to the gateway to the old covenant. When a boy was born on the eighth day, he was circumcised, and that set him out on his path of fulfilling the law. It was the, really the first law you can fulfill, and it's really more his parents than him, because when you're eight days, you can't decide one way or another if you want to be circumcised. Otherwise, nobody would be circumcised. <laughs> There's some truth to that. You know, we talked about it, right? You know, Paul talked uh, about the perversion of the gospel, but he has not yet defined what the gospel is. So here he is clearly defining it, and he says three times, the same thing. It's interesting. I am reading in a New King James Version, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, but by the for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. The same thing in one sentence he repeated three times. And uh, at the starting, right, you know, the first thing about the being saved is, you know, this whole process of being saved is the knowledge. What should we know, right? We need to know that a man is justified or made righteous, not by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And what is the action on our side after knowing that we are justified not by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ? The action on our side is even we have believed in Christ Jesus. You know, that is the part that saves us. That's it. As simple as that. First comes the knowledge. My works cannot save me. All my dead works cannot save me. No matter what I do, I cannot be saved. I can only be justified before God by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And after knowing that, we have to put our faith in Lord Jesus Christ. And putting our faith is basically simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, what is the result? After that, the the result is here. That, after believing, so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And then he says, for the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So this is a gospel uh, uh, in its uh, purest form that uh, Paul is uh, presenting again, right? You know, So anything that perverts this, right? Anything that says, you know, believing in Christ is not enough. That's not the gospel. So that's the whole point. And one other thing I noticed here is, right, it's, it's not that these 
Peter or other people are denying the gospel, right? They are not saying, okay, just throw out the gospel, throw out Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the law. They are not saying that. They are accepting the gospel, but they are adding works to the gospel, right? They are adding the Jewish customs and circumcision primarily to the gospel. But look at that, what Paul is saying. If you do that, you are trying to be justified by the law. He doesn't say you are trying to be justified by a mixed gospel. You are not. You are trying to be justified by faith in Christ and the law. He is simply saying, if you even add one additional condition to the gospel, then you are basically trying to be justified by the whole law. That's what he says, right? You know, if you go back to one thing in the law, you're basically put yourself under the law and you need to be justified by the law and basically you need to keep the whole law, all the Ten Commandments, all the 600, whatnot. And then at that point, you're basically rejecting the work of Christ and you're going back fully to the law. I think people are not realizing that. Preaching the mixed gospel is same as preaching the entire law and telling them you have to be justified by the works of the law. There's a lot of scripture that supports what you just said, Ajay. And as we get into Galatians 3, Paul's going to say in those words that if you try to do one part of the law, you're obligated to fulfill the entire law. And James from the other side said, if you break one part of the law, you've broken all of it. Yeah. So key, key point there. Yeah, still I think how ignorant people are, right? Simply you know, without knowledge, carelessly adding conditions to the gospel. I mean, when Paul took it so seriously to go against Peter himself, nowadays, you know, we are very, uh, I think, in a careless, foolish manner, we are adding conditions and works to the gospel, and we think that's okay, and we think that is holiness. I'm going to move forward uh, a couple more verses, starting at verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also amongst the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. So up until about two days ago in my life, I not only didn't understand those two sentences, I had them 180 degrees backwards. So as I did some re, uh, some research and read a few commentaries, uh, especially uh, Matthew Henry's, and now I completely see it. See it. What Paul is saying here is that. Uh, in seeking to be justified in Christ. In other words, he had lived his whole life trying to be justified by the law. Now he's seeking to be justified in Christ. He says, as I do that now, I'm finding myself among the sinners, the Gentiles. That's what Jews called them. You know, when when he moved out from under the law, being in Christ, the Jews would have considered him a sinner and among the numbers of the Gentile sinners. He says, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? And Paul says, absolutely not. Now, here's the key line. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. I always thought this meant that if he's if he used grace to start sinning, then he would be a lawbreaker. But it makes sense. Now, what is it that he's gone from? He's gone from the law to faith. If he rebuilds that law in his life, then that would make him a lawbreaker because nobody can keep the law. And that's what Matthew Henry said. He's And so the Jews, he's, he's giving you a rhetorical argument that the Jews might have used against him that, hey, you've moved to to faith now, 
that makes you a lawbreaker because now you're with the Gentile sinners because they didn't believe that you were justified by faith alone. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. Just the opposite. If I move back and add the law and put myself under it, that's what makes me a sinner and a lawbreaker. Now I'm clean. I'm pure. I am completely justified. I am the righteousness of God. And he wasn't going to be persuaded by them as Peter and some of the other Jews were momentarily to go back under the law. Yeah, that's an awesome point, uh, Mark. You know, here, in fact, you know, as you just said, you know, if you commit one sin in your entire life, you become a lawbreaker. So after being saved, I mean, to begin with, we went to Christ because we realized that we are sinners. We broke the law and uh, we need a savior and we need someone who can redeem us from the law. So after believing in Christ, if you go back to the same law, your same sins, even if you don't commit any new sins, the previous sins you committed, they're still there under the law. So you will instantly become a lawbreaker. So even if you ever committed one sin in your life and then you get saved and then you go back to the law, that one one sin still remains under the law. And you become a lawbreaker. And becoming a lawbreaker is not only just, it's something saying, oh yeah, now you're a lawbreaker, but the moment you go back under the law, you also come under the punishment and the condemnation and the curse of the law. So that is also important. And if you go back to the law again, you know, you will go back under all the uh, curses of the law. So it's uh, extremely important that, you know, you don't go back to the law once you come to saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is Paul admonishing us. I love the word admonishment because it's not it's he's giving us advice here really important advice very strongly that if you're a believer who's come to Christ in faith stay there don't start adding the law back in because now that makes you a lawbreaker Christ will be of little effect to you you've fallen away from grace he's going to say once we move ahead i think that's in galatians 5 so that's a really good admonishment to us to really that it, that it's not just Oh, it's okay to add a little bit of works. What's the harm? The harm is you're making yourself a lawbreaker. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Very good. So let's pick up at verse 19 and work through the end of the chapter here. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And that last verse there is uh, another great summation of the gospel message in a line. You know, I do not set aside the grace of God for righteousness could be ga- if righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. And that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, This one is so packed, you know, so rich with the truth. It's it's awesome. There are so many things here. And uh, this is one passage I always go back to in my personal uh, life. So most people, you know, this passage, they read from verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I live. But uh, actually it is connected to the previous uh, two verses and more closely connected to the verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. 
I would kind of break it like that because what happened was the net effect of being crucified with Christ, the first thing you want to understand is that you died to the law. People don't understand that, you know, being crucifixion with Christ, people immediately don't connect the dots to understand that being crucified with Christ means we died to the law. They think, you know, being crucified with Christ is, you know, somehow we have to um, die to sin in our own strength. Yeah, I've been crucified with Christ. Okay, now I've been crucified to sin. Now I have to uh, really live a sinless life, you know. But here, the based on the context, the whole context is about the law, right? You know, if I rebuild the law, what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. But how was it destroyed? In verse 18, he's saying that the law was destroyed. But how was it destroyed? That's what the verse 19 is saying. For I, through the law, died to the law so that I might live for God. So law says the soul that sins must die. And then, yes, we died in Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of us, Lord Jesus died. But in him, we also died. So let's say if you um, a criminal is sentenced to death punishment and then he is executed, he's no longer under this law system. He's gone. The law cannot go back, uh, go after an executed criminal and then try to uh, prosecute him again. It's over. It's done. So similarly, you know, we died in Christ to the law that said that we must die. And then I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer. So when this happens, right, when we die to the law, for us to live this life of me not living, no longer I, but Christ living in me, in order to live that life, in order to realize that life, we need to understand we, are, we died to the law. We are no longer under the law. And that's when, you know, Christ lives in us. And the second thing we see is the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So our part is to live by faith in Son of God who loved us. When we do that, Christ lives his life in us. We don't have to, again, worry about, you know, bringing Christ from heaven to bring into us, to live in us. All we do is we put our faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. Again, you know, we set our eyes on the cross, you know. That's where he died for us. When we set our eyes on the cross and we rest in his love for us, Christ lives in us. It's it's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Can I, I just want to add to your point, Ajay, and uh, what we had talked about before about rebuilding. If I rebuild what I was uh, destroyed, that I would be a lawbreaker. One of our main goals from the beginning on the unveiling and that we're absolutely adamant about is that salvation and sanctification, Jesus said the righteous will live by faith from first to last. There's no room in there. And so many people think that by adding some religious activity or some works or effort or some rituals, um, that they're actually doing something good and honoring God. Because, hey, look at me. I'm working hard, man. And they actually believe that's part of the gospel. They believe it's part of Christianity. But that's not what Scripture says. And if you've listened to the unveiling at all, you'll know we just give proof after proof. Well, we don't, but the apostles in Scripture do, and the Spirit does, that when you try to add you're actually subtracting, you're detracting, you're tainting, polluting, and perverting the perfect gospel of God's grace shown on the cross for us. And what I love about Galatians 1 that I didn't mention in 1.6, when, when the Galatians started doing this very thing, 
trying to add works back in. Paul said, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. When we start adding our works to the gospel, we're actually deserting Christ. It's a desertion. We're deserting God, Paul says. And you're you're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. So yeah. just the key point there that we'd real that people would realize it's really an important thing not to be adding works back in. And yet, as clear as scripture tells that uh, that uh, us that that is, it's not easy to do because if we also mentioned so many times, that's in our DNA. I mean, we're grown up in our society in a system that everything you do in every area is about merit. It's about you work hard and you receive. This is counterintuitive, but that's a, it's a paradox. It's not a contradiction. It's a paradox only because down here in the earthly realms, we've got it all wrong. Yeah. I'd like to touch on 21 as well. Uh, this is also a key verse. Uh, I think in NIV it says, I do not set aside. And uh, I like KJV as well. It says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So people talk about grace of God and they give lip service. But I wonder how many of them are constantly frustrating and setting aside the grace of God. And the way to frustrate the grace of God, it's clearly defined here, right? If you try to attain your righteousness by the law, if you try to do something again in order to justify yourself before God and thereby get his blessings or life or anything from God, you're basically frustrating the grace of God. And not only that, then you are making Christ's death in vain for you. So in Hebrews, it says uh, towards the end of uh, chapter 10, I think these people are crucified to Christ themselves afresh. Again, I think some people think, uh, oh, if you keep on sinning, you know, you're crucifying Christ to yourself again and again. But that's not the point. If you go back under the law, you know, Christ's death becomes vain. That means Christ is dead to you again. You know, his death is of no value to you. So it is pretty serious business, you know, going back under the law. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. I just wanted to ask a question. IJ, are you saying that if I'm a Christian and that I'm wholly, you know, rightly saved, and then I go back and say, I'm going to start trying to live by these rules, these laws, and I break one, I'm condemned again, which means Jesus has to go back to the cross and die for me again. Is that kind of what it's saying? Well, I think I would say for I would say that applies more to people who rejected Christ to begin with and his finished work, and they're trying to justify themselves by the works of the law. Uh, Christ is of no use for them, right? Because... They are not taking advantage of the death of Christ. But for believers, I think, you know, if they go back under the law, obviously they will not lose their salvation or they don't cease to become the children of God. But they cease to be living by grace. You know, whatever we can receive, all the inheritance that we have in Christ is only by grace through faith. So the inheritance that Christ has prepared for us, we cannot receive and enjoy it by the works of the law. So we have to set aside the works of the law and then go back to living by faith in order to receive and enjoy the inheritance and the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So even as a Christian, we might go back and live in these dark times where you know we are living like an unbeliever, where we are not enjoying Christ at all or we are not taking advantage of the benefits of Christ at all because suddenly we started going back to the law to, uh, to, to qualify ourselves 
to get what Christ did for us. Can I put my two cents in on there, Tim? All right. I want to be, for the sake of all honesty, I'm going to be honest, all right? The Apostle Paul, and even in these scriptures we're reading now in Galatians and many other places, he he says things that could be interpreted as, when he says that if you go back under the law, you're now a lawbreaker and Christ is of no value to you, that you've fallen away from grace, that could be interpreted that you lose your salvation if not for the fact that Paul taught over and over and over again that you can't lose your salvation. But one thing I would say is that we know for sure, putting yourself back under the law and adding works to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a bad thing. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> you know, I- I'm reminded of Nike's Just Do It slogan this is just don't do it all right <laughs> that's the you know, <laughs> just believe just trust just in believe. christ yeah. alone rest in him yeah i think on that point mark i'd also add you know here the context is justification so justification by faith is salvation so i think he might also be referring to people who are not saved yet and uh, instead of preaching preaching the pure gospel to them now these um, uh, judaizers have come and they are preaching a mixed version of the gospel you know which I'm also very much against it. Even today, I think in in how many evangelical uh, meetings we really hear the pure gospel. I think at least for me, when I was trying to uh, be saved, get saved, <laughs> I always heard, right, you know, you go there, they say, repent and believe. And for me, repent is always, oh, you have to stop sinning. And I could, there's no way I could stop sinning. So I don't know, maybe others could, but no, I others not. couldn't. So, uh, <laughs> so repent and believe is not the gospel for me. I can never be saved by the gospel. That's like adding works to the gospel. So it has to be simply yeah. believe. That's it. Mark, Mark, you are the expert on repent. What does repent truly mean? Well, this one just, if anything gets in my craw and twists, <laughs> it's the misuse of the word repent which I know we've talked about many times, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, And that's repent has got very little to do with sin. And that the word is the Greek word used in the Bible is metanoia, which literally means rethink. And this is something that's probably going to surprise a lot of you listening. And one of the great things about the day we live in now is we have computer concordances. We can look up every single word or theme or scripture and find everywhere in the Bible it it uses that word. I did an exhaustive search of the New Testament of the word repent. Repentance, repentance, repenting, every possible form of that, and it is never ever used where it says, repent of your sin, repent of sin. And that's the calling card of most preachers nowadays. Nowadays, Repent of your sin and turn to Christ. No, it never says that. What it says over and over again is, repent and turn for the forgiveness of sins. You rethink the fact that you are a sinner and that you can't fulfill the law and do it well enough yourself. You rethink the fact that you don't need a Savior and that you do need a Savior, and you turn to Christ. Peter, on that first day in the streets of Jerusalem on Pentecost preaching, he said, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. He didn't say, repent, wipe out your sins so that you can turn to God. No. 
No, it doesn't say that. It's completely wrong. And it makes it what the message it's giving is before you can come to Christ, you need to clean up your act. You need to clean the sin out of your life. Well, if you could do that, you wouldn't need Christ at all because you just get rid of the sin in your life and now you're righteous by the law. No, it, does, it makes no sense. It's illogical. And how it ever crept in to the gospel that the church preaches, and I'm sure, maybe I don't even know it, but I'm sure it's been opposed throughout the centuries. I know the Apostle Paul opposed that yeah. kind of thinking. You know, that um, is like uh, uh, saying, you know, before you get in the shower, you need to clean yourself. <laughs> yeah, use some use some uh, wipe, some what do they call those dighty wipes and clean your whole body then go take a shower. All right guys, I don't want to be the pushy guy, but I'm the pushy guy. We're pretty far into it time-wise and I think that we've gone through a lot of meat in this particular section. Wanted to give you guys a chance to reflect on it before we ended the episode for today. So Mark, would you like to start? Sure, I will. And um, just to do this one, and I, I agree with you, Tim, very meaty. It's the meat. It's to the core. It's to the core of the subject. Um, and just to def define the law one more time for somebody who has not listened to maybe a, a, a first time listener uh, to this podcast. And that is when we say the when Paul's talking about the law, many times he's talking about the Mosaic law which was given by God through Moses, or the Deuteronomical law or the Levitical law, which were also given by God to the nation of Israel. But then they added their own rabbinical laws and traditions and rituals and ceremonies and festivals. When we talk about it in modern times, we're talking about that same kind of thing, but it's a system of earning, deserving, meriting by your own effort, by your performance and rules and regulations, rituals, religious activity, behavior modification. Now, Paul uses a lot of those terms in Scripture. So when he talks about being under law, he's not just ref referring to, to, to Judaic law because he talks about rules and regulations. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle this. He's talking about the same kind of things we do now. We know many Many people won't eat meat on a Friday or certain days are holier than others and, you know, that kind of thing. So just to be clear, and what we call that is a hamster wheel. When you add that to the, if you're under that by itself or added to the gospel, it's a hamster wheel. And the harder you work, you still get nowhere. It's a perversion, a detraction, a subtraction, and a pollution of the gospel, and a desertion of the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, which is that one true gospel. So that's just, I wanna, wanted to mention that. And then also just to kind of acknowledge that uh, we need each other to ever break into the complete freedom as the children of God were called to, because it's in our DNA. Iron sharpens iron doesn't mean that I get in Tim's face about sinning or Ajay's face about sinning. It means I get in their face about trying to do things under their own effort and not resting and trusting in the perfect gospel. Amen. Thank you very much, Mark. Ajay. Yeah, so I want to summarize and also uh, talk about a practical application here. Uh, by way of summary, you know, when we put our faith in Lord Jesus Christ, we were crucified with Lord Jesus Christ. And we were crucified, you know, we were not only crucified to the old man, 
and our flesh, but I think the primary crucifixion that uh, sets us free is we died to the law. We are no longer under the law. So for a believer, we have no business with the law, not even as a moral guide, not even as anything, because, you know, we have much higher moral, which is loving one another as Christ loved us, that is higher than the Ten Commandments. So we really don't even need the law as a moral guide because our Lord Jesus Christ already gave the commandment, love one another even as I loved you. That's good enough. So don't go back to the law. So I think the question is, you know, after believers, how do we know we are going back to the law? You know, I'm actually, I catch myself doing this a lot, is when you feel condemned and when you're constantly beating up yourself and you never can let go of the mistake you did and you're constantly going over and over in your mind about something you did and you keep on beating yourself up, you're still living under the law. So as we grow in grace and stop living under the law, I think that is a litmus test, right? Even when we fall, when we sin, when we do something wrong, immediately we say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ and don't beat yourself up. You know, the root cause of beating ourselves up is the self-righteousness. We are still thinking, I should have done better instead of accepting that, you know, there's nothing good in me. So I myself, I think I go through this cycle a lot of uh, self-condemnation, beating myself up. But uh, I think that is an indication that you are still, even though you know grace, even though you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, but uh, when it comes to practical application, you're still going back under the law. So, So when you do sin, when you fall, don't beat yourself up. Just claim the righteousness and then move on. Amen. Thank you, Ajay. I think that I'm just going to add a little bit here myself and say that of this whole chapter, verse 21 still sticks out to me as being some of the core tenets of what I now believe and why I believe it. Uh, When it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Well, Christ died for me. I'm only a little above nothing. But Christ died for me, and the reason he died is so that I didn't have to justify myself anymore because Jesus came and is my justification now and is my salvation. And that is just, like I said, one of the core tenets of this belief in the grace of God and why I follow it. And I will say that in so many years in church, I don't think I ever saw this particular verse taught and to find it, so to speak, later in life, it was a revelation. And then, in fact, there's even more in the next chapter, which I think we're going to continue this next week. So join us if you'd like to move forward in Galatians with us. Uh, and um, there's more in this next chapter where, again, I don't believe I've ever heard it preached in church because I think I would have had a completely different understanding of Christianity and just remember that the law is has no power to help you keep it. it. It wasn't given to go to show us a way to be righteous. It was given to show us that we couldn't be righteous. And then Jesus doubled down on that in his ministry on earth by every, you know, all the things where he said, you've heard it said, for instance, uh, you've heard it said, don't uh, you know, don't have relations with your neighbor's wife. I say, if you ever looked at another woman and thought about it in your heart, you've already committed that sin. Uh, so 
the law isn't our friend. It isn't our guide. It isn't our comforter. <laughs> That's what Jesus and the Holy Spirit came to do. Guys, this has been another great discussion. I appreciate your time tonight. I'm already looking forward to next week. And again, I think it's going to be, we're going to start off in the, at the beginning of Galatians 3 and kind of keep going through like we've been doing the last two. And thank you, everybody, for coming. We hope you've been edified, lifted up, and encouraged. And we'll talk to you again the next time. Tim again. Thanks for listening today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, we encourage you to subscribe and share our podcast with your friends and family. Our entire catalog of episodes can be found on our website at www.theunveiledgospel.com or you can listen and subscribe on most popular podcast apps. If you have any feedback or questions, you can send us an email to theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page, The Unveiling Podcast, or you can leave a question or comment on our listener line at 352-398-0089. Maybe you'll hear yourself on a future episode. That's it for today. As always, God bless, and we will talk to you the next time.